We continue this morning in Genesis chapter 4. If you go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 4, we will be in verses 17 through 26. If you're taking notes, you're welcome to use the back of the bulletin to do that. I encourage you to do that. If you would go ahead and follow along as I read our passage this morning, beginning in verse 17, it says, Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. Arad was born to Enoch, and Arad fathered Mehuyael. Mehuyael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. Ada bore Jebel. He was the father of the nomadic herdsmen. His brother was named Jubal. He was the father of all who play the flute and the harp. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nema. And, and just real quick, because we're not going to get into I'm going to keep reading here in a second, but I just want you to take note of, of their names and how their names are attached to certain developments that are happening within civilization, okay? Producing music, right? There's even an agricultural development there. There is all kinds of bronze and iron tools, and so you took note of that. Then we get verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And if Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be 77 times. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And a son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call the name of the Lord. And some of you might be wondering now, uh, why did he choose this for his Christmas sermon? Well, I didn't. It chose me, right? Okay, so uh, we were in Genesis, and we're just continuing in Genesis. And I think there is certainly something here for us this morning. Do you, do you ever feel like uh, you are missing Christmas for what it's supposed to represent? Anyone? Or is that just me? Because if it's just me, y'all, I just can preach to myself. I sometimes do it in here, literally. But I doubt it's just me. I imagine... Uh, that many of you get distracted in that, and there's not even intention. It's not in hostility towards God or anything like that, but in this time of year, you just begin to miss Christmas for what it's supposed to be. But I actually think it's a sign for other things, uh, of other things going on even in our heart at the heart level. You know, we can't blame the Hallmark movies. We can't blame, right, the Santa Claus myths. We can't blame Black Friday. We can't blame consumerism for why we miss Christmas. Now, that's what we tend to blame, right? Like, for why we miss Christmas. It's everybody else's fault for why we miss Christmas for what it's supposed to be. 
And so we list these things. And we miss Christmas during this time of year, though, because we have trained our minds, I think, and hearts to miss Christmas every other day of the year. Uh, for the believer, it doesn't have to be this way. Certainly for anybody, it doesn't have to be this way. I think our passage actually provides a warning of how easy it is to take a godless trajectory and how the birth of a son provides us with a vision for a new beginning with God. Right here in our passage. Right, which sends us on a Godward trajectory, living a Godward life. So we have the godless trajectory on the way of Cain, and then a, a Godward trajectory provided there in this passage as well. Very different tracks, right? very different trajectories, and we are asking ourselves, I want you to ask yourself this morning, which one are you on? Which trajectory are you on in your life? So as we examine the godless trajectory in the way of Cain, verses 17 through 24, we see that when we tiptoe onto this path, and that's typically how it is, right? It's like a gradual drift away from the Lord, oftentimes. And we tiptoe onto this path, and when we do, this godless trajectory path, we'll struggle, right? And I shouldn't even say struggle. We won't struggle. We will fail, Okay? We'll fail to live our lives with the understanding that Christmas is the center of history. Right? We fail to understand, right? In fact, we don't even attempt to comprehend or live with the, with the awestruck wonder that we just sang about or marvel of how God's so amazing, so incomprehensible, organized thousands of years of history around the birth of one son. Right? Wow. That's what should be consuming us. There is a way you see that Christmas isn't to be just something we acknowledge one day, but every day. And God has ruled and overruled to accomplish His great purpose in bringing His Son into the world. His coming is all-consuming for those who turn to Him in faith. That's what it's supposed to be, <laughs> right? His coming is to be all-consuming for those who would turn to him in faith. That our response in these times of years should be, we ought to be enamored, enamored by it. The human mind is drawn into the divine care and the divine love of God, right? That he demonstrates, how? By sending his own son. Wow. And we stand to marvel. We stand awestruck. How could it be? But God, right? This is a sad part. God and his provision of Christ is made small. And how is it made small? Right? It's made small by material distractions of this life. We could talk about that a good bit. Isn't it something how God is so amazing? How God's so amazing. Right? Isn't it something? How he can be pushed to the corner by something as shallow and common and even expected as cultural advancement. See why? Well, look at that. That's what we see in the line of Cain, this cultural advancement. Right? And you can hear it, right? You can hear it resounding even in our own culture. Look how far we've come. Look what we can do. Look at the technology. Look what we can overcome. Right? We can beat this. We can overcome this. Right? 
That God and his provision in Christ, it's, it's amazing, I think, how it can be pushed out. It can be pushed out of our view by, by man's ingenuity. Right? How quickly we humans become arrogant in enterprise. You see what I'm saying? Our, our creativity, which incidentally is given to us by our creator, has us thinking less of him, not more. In Genesis 4, we see the line of Cain pride itself in this kind of cultural advancement, taking on this godless trajectory. In Genesis 4, 17, look there, it says, Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became a builder of a city. And he named the city Enoch after his son. Here's this man that killed his brother, and God punished him, look back in verse 12, saying, if you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And what did Cain do in response to that? He protested, and God in his mercy responded and protected. Don't know why. Except that God is merciful. And here he is, that is Cain, now in verse 17 a successful builder of a city. It seems like a case, a case of the wicked prospering, right? Something we see in the psalmist lamenting about. Without God in Christ Jesus, we become consumed with making a legacy for ourselves. Even think of how we tend to give. Even think of how we tend to do good things, right? We put our name on everything. Look what I did. Look what I gave. Look what I accomplished. Part of this be, comes from this fleshly line of thinking that we see right here in Cain. And I think we see it. I think we see him saying, I want my name to live on forever. I want to build a lasting monument. <laughs> build a lasting monument to me, I think, is what he is going after here, you say, how do you see that? Well, Cain became a builder of a city, and then what did he do? Well, he named that city after his son. So his legacy lives on. Right. Perhaps there's nothing to that. We might argue, what's wrong with that? Well, maybe nothing, but maybe everything. <laughs> maybe everything's wrong, right? Isn't it something how your heart can make it all wrong? Even when it's supposed to be all right. But your heart can twist and distort. And Cain's heart, we know it was in the wrong place. We know where Cain was. He was consumed with his own legacy. He did not accept, he did not accept the punishment that he deserved. In fact, he seems to be, consider himself entitled to something great. This sounds familiar. I know it does for me. Entitlement. We take this entitlement mentality. We step into this godless trajectory and we land in the category of Psalm 49, 10 through 12. You can turn there. I'll, let's take a look at it. And I think it parallels off of what we see happening here with Cain. It says there in Psalm 49, 10 through 12, For one can see that the wise die. The foolish and stupid also pass away. I remember my kids first learned that the Bible says the word stupid. Yeah. There's two paths. 
two paths to take. It says here, the foolish and stupid also pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes. Their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. Verse 12. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. It doesn't matter. You can advance. You can make a great name. You can leave stuff to your sons and your daughters. You can name cities after them. But despite this, despite, it says there in the text, despite your assets, it will not last. Because why? Because like the animal, you will perish. As the line of Cain expands, they continue on this godless trajectory. Verse 18, 19, look there, Irad was born to Enoch. Arad fathered Mehuyael, Mehuyael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Edah and the other named Zillah. Because God extends mercy and common grace to Cain, Cain lives on and his family line prospers and produces they build cities. That's what we see as we keep reading here in this text. We see they build city. They build the city. And as we keep reading, we see they make tools and weapons, produce music, and develop agriculturally. But while they advance civilization, they also advance in rebellion. Think of it, ascending while descending. That's the deception of sin, even in your heart, in your life, that you face, right? You can feel like you're ascending while, in fact, you're descending. In verse 19, we see this descent. For the first time, a man takes two wives. And I wonder if you're guilty like me so many times having read through Genesis that you just pass right over that as if it's commonplace when it's not common. At this point in Scripture, it is the first time that somebody goes flat out against the design of God and does what is wise in his own eyes. It's not the first, but in terms of does what is wise in his own eyes and violates God's design when it comes to marriage. Right here, he takes two wives. As we saw in the creation account, we talked a good bit about it, that God designed humanity to flourish. How? In the context of a family in which there was one man and one woman, one husband and one wife, one dad, one mom. And I'm talking six different people, different, that's different titles. Okay, there's two. Okay? Not bigamy, not polygamy, as we see here. Not marry someone, try it out for a while, then move on to someone else. No, and, no not at all. Uh, marriage, in, in, in the church, we have gotten away from this. Certainly our culture has gotten away from God's design. But, but marriage is to be a permanent pairing. For as long as the two shall live, they shall live as one. But Lamech, there in verse 19, what happens? Well, he does what we tend to do in the flesh, right? And this is where we all find ourselves, too. Often with all sorts of sins that we could name and, and pick and talk about as it, as it pertains to our own life. But Lamech, there in 19, indulges himself, not according to God's plan, but according to his own fleshly pleasures and what he deems wise in his own eyes. And what is denied? What is denied in him carrying on that way? 
What is denied when, when we kind of sort of innocently, right, are you, are you putting that kind of quote around it? Well, it's not hurting anyone as I indulge here and go off of God's script a little bit, off of God's recipe, right, for the righteous life. It doesn't really mess things up too bad, right? You, really? You alter recipes a lot? You see where I'm going? I, I, we've got to say, man, God has established things to be a certain way, and we get off track, establish things... All this little altering of God's purposes. What is denied in that moment? Well, what is denied when I do that? What is denied when you do that is the wisdom of God. I'm saying I'm I'm wiser than God. That's what I'm saying. And I have to face that. Like it, it helps me repent better, right? When I realize that's what I'm saying when I'm indulging in sin, that I'm saying, God, I know better. And I don't want to be caught there very long, right? Right, that's Lamech. Denying the wisdom of God. Because the the, the wisdom was the family unit, according to God's plan, the foundational structure for for a fruitful humanity, excuse me, was undermined. God's plan, God's purpose, altered by sinful indulgence, ascending while descending, right? Having life his way, indulging, right? Taking in and experience and thinking, right? Experiencing the, the good life, I guess you could say, and, and, and taking it in and accomplishing and advancing and whatnot. And, and yet internally, what we see here is he's descending, spiritually descending. And he sings a song. The descent continues, sings the song in verse 23 and 24. And it's no Christmas carol. I'll tell you that. We see that not only did he treat his wife of his youth treacherously, to take the words from Malachi. Not only did he treat the wife of his youth treacherously by marrying another, but then he tells these women, and I get the sense that he's kind of sizing up to them a little bit in this song. Like, look how I'm the man. Okay? And in fact, Bible scholars call it his taunt song. Okay? And he says there, Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Right? Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be 77 times. We see Lamech's pride stretching out in his own heart as he exalts the idea of killing a youth. First, he undermines marriage, and now he undermines life, (laughs) right? Both God's design. God created marriage. God created people, and he kills this youth who wounded him. It could be translated offended. Your text might even say it that way, offended him. His arrogance swelled up, and he kills a kid who offends him. Wow. the value of life degenerates from one generation to the next. As he arrogantly states there in verse 24 that if anyone touches him, if anyone touches him, look at his arrogance. This is also very telling. Right? Isn't it something how we double down in our sin? Right? Isn't it something 
how we grab hold of it and we just keep running with it and running with it. We don't want to let go. That is where we see his arrogance has blinded him. And he goes as far as to say, he claims for himself that God, what God actually just guaranteed to Cain, right? This protection. So God told Cain seven times, I'll avenge if someone touches you, Cain. And, and Lamech saying, well, if it's that way for Cain, well, I'm bigger and badder and better. And you can, can't you see him kind of? And it'll be 77 times if someone touches me. Whoa. Wow. His prideful heart is growing as if he, he thinks he's God. Certainly, he's acting as if he's even deserving of God's protection. More evidence of this godless trajectory we see as we just evaluate the text a little bit further. You compare, for example, Lamech in chapter 4. If you counted it out, you'd see that this is the seventh name in the line of Cain going from Adam. Okay? So you can do that if you want. It's right there in chapter 4. And then... You compare that with the seventh name through the line of Seth in chapter 5, which was Enoch. Two very different life paths, huh? Two very different trajectories. Unlike Lamech, look at chapter 5, verse 24. This is, I think this is purposeful. <laughs> the way Moses has set this up. And we see... <laughs> That Enoch was a man that walked with God and didn't die because God took him. And, and, and I think as we read this together, that what Moses and what God is trying to highlight here is that one man indulges in self-advancement and his whole family tree dies in a flood. But another man walks with God. And it doesn't stop there. This... That flood takes us to another example. We have Lamech's speech here, right, in 23 and 24 in the line of Cain. But then there's another Lamech mentioned in chapter 5. Look there at verse 28 and 29. And so the Lamech in the line of Cain boasts, has this boasting taunt song about killing a young man. And then when we look at the line of Seth in chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, we see there's this other Lamech who fathered Noah and said something very different. It's not a taunt song, but he says there in 28, 29, this one will bring us relief. This one will bring us relief from agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And he's talking of Noah. Okay, and so if I had to just summarize, so well, what's the difference? You summarize that real quickly. If we're just analyzing these chapters side by side in the line of Cain and the line of Seth, what we see here is one celebrating sin and the other celebrating a future redemption from sin. Right? You see how we begin to get to Christ. <laughs> Christmas is filled with gifts and promises of prosperity. Culturally speaking, it's this time of year 
I actually think, as you look at the line of Cain, they were happy. Actually, if you study their names a little bit and the meaning of their names, you even get some of, some of that from the, how, how they're even named in this text. That they're, they're happy. They're, they're living the life. They're enjoying the convenience and, and the little bit of success that they're having over this cursed world. Okay? They're kind of moving on up, so to speak. And so I just contrast that even and think about where we're at culturally right now during this time of year. I think it's, it's this time of year, the Christmas season is what I'm talking about. And, and it's consumer, the consumer side of things that, that produces, I would argue, one of the most depressive times of the year in January. And that's what you see if you talk to mental health professionals, right? You see those, and, and sometimes, it, well, it's attributed to seasonal depression in January and February, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is one contributing factor to the depression that we see in January because here we're in this season now where it's promising you all kinds of happiness, right? All kinds of good things, if you can afford the right Christmas, you know, if you can afford good gifts, if you can get good gifts, then you'll be happy. If you have a job where you can get time off, right, then you'll have the good Christmas. If you can spend lots of time with friends and family, that's what it is. That's what it's really about. Then you'll just have this great Christmas time and then you'll be happy. And then, you know, if you, you see where it goes and just on and on and it promises happiness. But by the first week of January, you are aware that none of that stuff made you happy as you thought it would. And so that new TV, the computer, the dishwasher, the car, I don't know what it is for your house that you're needing right now or wanting. Maybe it's a gaming system or something, right? Whatever it is that you're looking for that's going to bring you that fun, that excitement, that, that ease. Right for, for the young mothers in the room, it's probably even just as simple as a sleeping child. Right? I just want my, my child to sleep through the, through the night. Right? Maybe that's the Christmas gift you're looking for. Right, whatever it is, though, we, we begin to look and we're promised and we begin to think and we get on this, this track of thinking that these things, if I, can, if I can attain them, it will help me escape the law of the curse just for a moment. And so we work hard to accumulate these things, to grab hold of these little treasures and whatever your treasure is, right? And then you, you get them and you might have, we work really hard to attain them. And, and then you get... To the morning of January 1st, and you're feeling sad and empty, right? Because you have to go back to work tomorrow. Oh, the break's over, and I'm not as happy as I thought I'd be. Oh. The baby slept, but there's something else to grumble about, right? Oh, you know, I... Have to, or, you know, for some of us, maybe it's a little more like I got that generic version of jeans instead of the ones I wanted, right? I don't know. January 1, maybe you just realize that. Or, uh, 
You got the exact genes you want, but you're not as pretty in, in them as you thought you'd be. I don't know what takes place on your January 1 this year. I'm, I'm really trying to think about it for you and, and help us prepare. Right? Prepare our hearts. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're a young person in here and it's the gaming system that you got and you're going to get or you plan on getting this Christmas. And you're going to play it for hours. But in the end, you just find that it's going to make you stupider and uglier in your heart. You say, well, that's rude. No, maybe I shouldn't have written it that way. But that's what it does sometimes. And you say, well, why? Well, I'm talking after you get it. Then you, Did you then carry on and start fighting with your mom and dad because you didn't get to play it enough? In January 1, this little gaming system has become a source of tension already in your home. And kids don't feel left out. The adults do the same thing with their gifts. God blesses and they become sources, kind of thorns in our life. Because they're not being used to honor God. And Satan uses them to, to dishonor, actually. I, I don't know what it will be. I could go on and on. I, I just hope that if you get to that moment on January 1, I hope what, what we realize, if you're feeling that way, I hope what you realize is that the reason that you feel empty and lonely in the pit of your stomach is because you were busy chasing after the wrong thing. Okay. I mean, I'm, I get there, y'all. And so all I'm, all I'm asking is that God, by the power, will bring us back to this passage, to this moment, right? Because I get busy chasing after the wrong stuff. And I'm just asking when we wake up, because we've been spinning our wheels chasing after the wrong stuff, right? That alarm would go off and we would realize that we've been chasing after the wrong things and that, that circumstantial gloom, that we wouldn't ignore it. But we would let that alert us to the fact that our heart needs tended to, right? Don't wait for it, for it to pass. And here's the thing. We want to accumulate, right? We want to advance. I would say I'm the worst. <laughs> if I can just get my wife and kids exactly what they want, then it will be the perfect Christmas, right? And I want to say, go ahead. I'm not, I'm not down, trying to down on y'all getting gifts for each other, right? We're going to do that. Go ahead and get people what they want. If you can afford right? We should. We should be the most generous people. We ought to give some of the best gifts to one another, I would think. And if they want it and you can afford it and they can steward it well, well, my goodness, get it. Bless them. My point here, though, is to say how easy it is for our hearts to shift off of God and off of aiming to please God, off of being satisfied in God and in the provision of Christ. And we look to get satisfied and content in these other things. Right? And on down the road we go. And see, it's not just at Christmas time. It's every other day of the year where in our life we're setting these markers, one marker after another marker. Right? And, and, and we're setting these goals to, to advance like, like Cain is advancing and to attain and to get and to have. And we have these markers and goals and as we reach them, we try to drag God into it as, the, as if the markers and goals have anything to do with Him anyway. And, and so there we are. We're, we're, yeah, we're going to church, right? And we present our offerings 
But the reality is all of it is just a show to, to try to get our best life now. And we often find ourselves like Lamech in the line of Cain. And for him, you see, here it is. Here's one of the points. Life seems good for them. You see it? Because it ends with this little, this little taunt song. Right? Life seems good, decent, even enjoyable. And too often what we fail to realize is that while we might be advancing in so many other areas of our life, we are degenerating internally. It is something, isn't it? How, how prosperity and development around us can be happening all around us on the outside, but internally we are impoverished and degenerating. Oh, what a dangerous thing, isn't it? And how we get duped by it. How we get duped. But there's hope as we transition from godless to Godward in verse 25 and 26. The hope comes from the birth of a new son. Right? I'm not going to leave you in this spot because we've got to look, we've got to finish the section here. 25 and 26. We see that while Cain's line looks to advance self, Moses is telling us that not everyone had ignored or forgotten about God and that God had not forgotten about them. You hear that? God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten, right? And he says that all the way back, even when things were really bad and really wicked. We see those who will advance the righteousness of God. And that's surprisingly, actually, Adam and Eve. Verse 25, you see that God gave Adam and Eve a son to replace Abel. And they named this new son Seth. And then Seth had a son, look there in the passage, and Seth had a son named Enosh. And it says that at that time, look there at the end of 26, at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. A Godward, redemptive trajectory is introduced a better way of course not everyone and we know and we have to say it not everyone in the line of Cain was righteous but the line excuse me not everyone in the line of of Seth was righteous but it was the line of Seth not Cain that led to Abraham and we could also say not everyone in the line of Cain, was necessarily unrighteous. The, the point, though, here that our text is making is that it was the line of Seth, not Cain, that led to Abraham, who was the founding father of the nation of Israel. And like Abel, we know that Abraham is also listed in Hebrews. And like Abel, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Seth names here, so it means, what is it? It means, it's important we tell you what it means because that's part of how we know that, that Eve and Adam are celebrating. Seth's Seth name means beginning and foundation, okay? If you have a son, now let's, let's picture us at being where, where Adam and Eve were, okay, right? They had this son their oldest son, and turns, and this son turns and kills their other son and gets seriously disciplined by the Lord for it. 
And if that happened to you, you have a wayward son, you know just a little bit of the, of the pain and the, the agony of that. And you're very discouraged by that. And they, Adam and Eve, are very discouraged at this point. I mean, think of the tragedy that took place in their home. And then they see and they look at the, 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 how Cain is living his life. Right? And I mean, they've had their own mistakes and they know that. But, but here, it's all falling apart. And Cain's heart was dark. And his mom and dad knew it. And the result of this dark cloud over their home, right? Over Adam and Eve's home. But then here, we're introduced here in 25, the birth of this new son, Seth, becomes the dawning of a new day for Adam and Eve. You see, Seth was a sign from the Lord, the beginning of something new, or the laying of foundation. We could say the laying uh, a foundation for a son that would give the crushing blow to the serpent, right? That's what's happening. We see this hope, right, and excitement in the naming of their son from Adam and Eve. God has provided is what Adam and Eve are saying. God has provided, and we are renewed, and we are heading off on a new trajectory. The line of Cain says nothing of God's provision, does not look to honor God, right, does not commemorate anything to God. We see here in verse 25 that it's the faithful that look to God, that celebrate God's provision. Adam Eve recognized that the birth of Seth brings them a new hope. Moses further highlights there in verse 26 by pointing out that Seth's sons, unlike Cain's sons, brought about a change where people begin to call out to God and proclaim his name. And we see this development in the line of Seth. Of course, we know that by the time we get to Noah, the wickedness on the earth had become so widespread that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, it says, except for Noah. And the Lord said, to Noah, you alone are righteous. And he preserved Noah and his family. So hear it. Here's what's happening here. Here's why there's so much hope here, okay? Because the promise even there that we see in Genesis 3, verse 15, where God says that the offspring of the woman will strike your head, talking to the serpent, and you will strike his heel. The, the promise, it seemed almost lost, actually, when we look at the line of Cain. But, but here we see that God, in preserving Noah and his family, God had replaced Abel. How did he do it? He replaced Abel with Seth. And through the line of Seth, that gets us to Noah. And if you look ahead in Genesis chapter 9, we see that God makes a covenant with Noah and gives him the same charge that he gave Adam. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A new beginning. If we turn to Luke, which you don't have to, chapter 3, verse 23, we see the genealogy of Christ from his adoptive father Joseph all the way back to the line of Seth. Do you marvel? Do you marvel at how God has organized and made sure to provide his own son in just the right place at just the right time so that you and I now can look to respond by faith in this provision 
That his, 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 in his divine providence, he has demonstrated his care. In his divine providence, he has demonstrated his love for us. Here we see it goes all the way back to where things were about to be lost. And the line of Cain, he wasn't getting it. And so God replaced Abel with Seth. And it was clear to Adam and Eve that the way of Cain would never get us anywhere. Specifically, it is clear to us today that it would never get us to the way of Christ, church. It wouldn't get us there. The way of Cain would never bring about the day when the son of a woman would be born to put down the serpent, Satan. Right. However, because of God's constant intervention and sovereign decree, he replaced Abel with Seth in order to one day preserve the human race through Noah and one day further still establish a nation through Father Abraham. And then finally, further on down the road, he would establish right, and fulfill his promise to offer redemption to humanity by establishing his church through his greatest son, Jesus Christ. that's where we're at the sons through Seth go through Abraham King David all the way to Joseph the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus Christ it's a Christmas sermon after all amen amen Amen. the Godward trajectory is available to us today not because of our own work But because this son has been given and his name is Emmanuel, God with us, how we don't deserve what he offers. And he can rescue us from getting duped by all these goofy promises that the world has to offer that that it can never keep. And they always let us down. That stuff never satisfied. That advancement, that getting, that attaining, that indulging in the flesh, man, it always leaves you hanging and starving and honestly just a complete mess. It is only God with us that can give you that satisfaction that you're looking for. Amen. Only He can satisfy our longing hearts. And in His love, He has demonstrated he has demonstrated this, how, how he organized this feat. Honestly, when I try to wrap my mind about it, I realize it is incomprehensible. <laughs> and we're going to sing about that joy that I think incomprehensible. Go ahead and come up now. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. We're going to sing joy to the world, right? Unspeakable joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, that's every heart in here, all right? And, and say it as a prayer for yourself first this morning that you might say, man, Lord, let my heart prepare him room, right? And let every heart prepare him room this Christmas season. Let's sing.